Welcome to Entrench, a 21 Pilots podcast. Hello, local dreamers. Welcome to Entrench. My name is Anna, and this is episode 36, Semi-Automatic. Make sure you've listened to the song beforehand and are ready for an in-depth analysis of track 6 off Vessel. When I was writing 36, I thought of Harry Potter. But last year, last year, there was 37. (laughs) So next time, there will be 37, Dudley. I think this episode is going to be juicy, and I'm excited. So let's dig in. Let's get deep fast. As a background, Tyler, in his commentary that... I know we're supposed to think his commentary is, like, uncomfortable and how dare they have asked him about all of these songs, but (laughs) the more I've, like, read what he said and hear the actual words that he says about these songs, I'm like, I still don't fully believe that he was being serious. So sorry, Tyler, if I'm, like, joking about something that was genuinely painful. But, like, some of the ways that he describes these tracks, I'm like, surely this has to be deadpan humor. (laughs) surely. So anyway, the main thing that I wanted to say is Tyler discusses in his commentary that the song brings up a theme of nighttime, and specifically because we know that he brings this up a lot and he literally says that he brings it up a lot in his music, he describes this contrast between how nighttime is very rough for him compared to many others in pop music especially who will sing about how there's so many highlights of nighttime, whether it's partying or, I mean, you kind of think of like Avicii or something. So I wanted to read you part of a blog post from a long time ago because when Tyler explained all of this, it reminded me of my own struggles with nighttime. And I might have briefly mentioned these before, but I've definitely never read these full snippets from my blog, so I wanted to share them to further brought in this idea that nighttime is really hard for a lot of people and especially when you have mental health struggles, it can be very detrimental. And so I wanted to just preface all of this with my experiences to relate to you, but to in the end also hopefully give you hope for your future if you are currently in a difficult season with nighttime. So this was written on January 18th, 2017. This is when I was a sophomore in college. And yeah, it was reflections on the previous year. As you know, my freshman year was one of the roughest years of my life, specifically with a huge jump and spike in development and anxiety. And this was, as you will see, most often exacerbated with nighttime. So here are my passages from this blog that I wanted to share. I, so to preface, I started off the whole post talking about like funny things for me with nighttime as a child and then like angsty teen things with nighttime as a child and how my relationship with nighttime morphed over time. And so this is then me talking about college and the present at this time. But on a much heavier note, Nighttime became fearful. As my freshman year progressed, I came to terms with my anxiety. The majority of my anxiety stems from hypochondria and a fear of being sick or dying. Last summer was by far the worst it has ever been. 
Almost every night in June and July, I was afraid, and putting my head down to the pillow was almost impossible. I enjoyed watching Netflix before bed to unwind, but it became a necessity in order to push off the attempt to sleep. Night after night, I tried to sleep and noticed a different pain in my chest or head, an irregular heartbeat, whatever it might have been, and immediately my whole world came crashing down. I was dying. I was sure of it every single night. This past fall, I bought a 21 Pilots poster at a sale. It has the lyrics from their song, Ode to Sleep, that says, I'll stay awake because the dark's not taking prisoners tonight. I put it on my closet so it's right in front of me when I sit up in bed, which I have mentioned before. To me, it's a reminder that no matter what my flesh will tell me at night, I'm safe. Even if I were to die, someone's still in control, and it's not me. So those are my thoughts from 2017. Um, I would have been, yeesh, still 19, just about to turn 20. Yeah, it's crazy reading that for myself because I remember it was genuinely not an exaggeration. I meant every word that I said. It was months of every single night I felt like I was dying, which sounds insane. It sounds insane. And hypochondria or health anxiety, um, whatever sort of spectrum is there, I'm not entirely sure, but it's a very... It's one of those things that I don't know a lot of other people who have it, but I I think it's safe to say that it's a very embarrassing thing generally because it sounds crazy to other people that your genuine fears and thoughts are real to you because they're, they're so irrational, but you really can't understand unless you're experiencing the symptoms and experiencing the thought spirals and... It's just wild how easily our minds spiral and how easily we feed our minds with negativity to spiral. And it's kind of a surreal moment for me to be reading all of that. And I didn't share it in those portions, but I also shared a memory in that blog post. Feel free to message me or um, email me and I can send you the full blog posts. But I shared a very vulnerable story where one of those nights I woke up in the middle of the night in a dead panic, um, feeling really weird physically, and I legitimately thought I was dying. It was wild. I don't even know how to explain that season of my life. It was just really sad (laughs) Um, and really surreal because I'm so far from there anymore. Um, Like, that feels like an alternate universe. I make no mistake, obviously, I've still gone through a lot of things, you know, as you know, I feel like you guys know surface level. I've, you know, experienced emotional abuse, I've experienced heartbreak, I've experienced all manners of other types of anxieties from all of those kinds of things, and yet, I don't know, I feel like this fear that I was speaking of in 2017 from 2016 is just a whole other type of beast that luckily has never reared its head again since then. And so it's really weird to reflect on now, but I bring that up to hopefully give you encouragement that you won't always be where you're at in the present. And I think we see that with Tyler, and um, we've seen that with him, and we've seen 
just truly how his life has continued to evolve and transform and the joy we have for him. But genuinely, I hope that I can also be another story and reminder that your life genuinely will continue to evolve and transform. Like that's not just something that's unique to someone because they're a famous musician. That can happen to you. It has happened to me and you're not too obscure for God to transform. And it doesn't matter how long you've been struggling with whatever you're struggling with. There will be seasons for months or years even where you will feel like you're just in a never-ending pit that you can't climb out of. And I think the coolest part about those seasons of life is somehow you climb out of the pit and it's completely God and you don't really know when or how it happened, but eventually you look back and you're like, wait, I'm out of the pit. That kind of happened to me in the past year with just holistic healing from trauma and it was just looking back in bewilderment like somehow the Lord graciously brought me here and I literally have no idea how or when it happened. It just somehow... When I stopped intently watching for the pot to boil, it somehow just happened. And I think that can often be a big piece of it too, is we can just fixate so intently on wanting what we want to change in those hard seasons that we are focusing on the wrong thing. And sometimes fixating on what you think you should fixate on is actually preventing you from growing in a way. Because as soon as you let go of trying to like control it, is when God's going to really start transforming it, I think. And I know that's been true in my own life. Yeah, I, I think that's a good preface and a good segue into this song. But I also, just like looking over my notes, I think there's a ton of other content that we haven't even touched yet. And... I'm just really excited to dig into this one. I think I'm finding that I get the most out of these podcasts, songs that I am not as familiar with. You know, like before you start your day. That one I knew, but I didn't know. And so it's just, it's a completely different beast when you, you're like an acquaintance with a song versus when you stop to in-depth analyze a song and then it's just like a completely different relationship where you're not just oh occasionally I'll hear that but it's never one of the ones that I specifically gravitate towards and so when you pull up those songs for you whatever they might be that you don't naturally gravitate towards there's so much richness you can pull from them like this one that I never did before and it just kind of, for me, is like, shame on me for not paying enough attention to this beautiful song before, because it has so much to offer, as you probably already know. And now I'm a huge fan. <laughs> not that I wasn't a fan, but I just, I did not see the levels that were here, because I didn't fixate to it the way I did with Migraine, or the way I did with Choker, the way I did with the entire Trench album. <laughs> so that one will be really fun to get to but I, I feel like I try to like prevent myself from saying that every single podcast because when we get to the trench era I mean pray for me now because I have no idea how to explain all the lore stuff I still don't fully understand but like the songs themselves I'm gonna expose my entire life to you basically through trench 
you're gonna know all my secrets and all the reasons that I love Toyota Pilot so much. You think you know already, but you don't know the half of it until you've heard everything I have to say about Trench. But completely off topic, let's get into semi-automatic because this is a gold mine, people. So we start off with this music. It's very electronic per use. And I feel like the effect it gives off is there's just this disconnect. It's all very scattered and scatterbrained and, you know, that kind of previews the whole schizophrenic idea that he, he pops into the bridge there. Yeah, I think it's, it's a song that's all over the place and I think that makes it amazing because he can cover so many things in the span of minutes. Sometimes it's good to just repetitively nail a certain point home, like in more repetitive songs, but sometimes it's nice to chalk a song full of as many different ideas as you can, and I'm definitely grateful that this is chocked full of a lot of things. So, verse one, I literally didn't pull up the lyrics. Night falls with gravity. The earth turns from sanity. Taking my only friend I know, he leaves a lot. His name is Hope. Night falls. I like the contrast between night falls and the earth turns. Like, those are very intentional verbs. Falling is like thunk. Just suddenly it's here. It's very abrupt. It's very unsettling. It's very burdensome. Hence, he adds, with gravity. And I think in in that sense, he doesn't need to be redundant. He's already said falls, so I don't take it as gravity like what makes something fall. Although technically, yes, you could. But I think Tyler's very intentional with his words, and I don't think he would say the same thing twice. So, I think he more so means gravity as far as seriousness. Night is upon us. It is a sobering spiritual concept because it symbolizes lack of light. It symbolizes despair. And I think it's the most visual metaphor we have for spiritual warfare. And as far as the struggle Tyler has had, and I have had, and maybe you have had with nighttime. It's a very vulnerable time. I know for me, it's it's very much a sobering time that's burdensome because it's very lonely. Like, literally, people are sleeping. And so if you are going through a mental trial, it feels even more isolating. Um, which for me, it was almost always in my worst mental health was in the nighttime, at least in college. Um, I would say the past couple of years, my panic attacks, for instance, were always in the morning, and that was more of a, a trauma delay thing. But with generalized anxiety, especially in college years, my struggle was in the nighttime, and I, I feel like I've always had a huge trigger of being trapped. And so nighttime did feel like I was trapped because it felt like I didn't have anyone to call out to for help because they were all asleep and even if there was someone reachable it felt like I was a burden because I had to wake them up from something everyone should be able to have uninterrupted in my opinion um maybe just because I love sleep a lot so nighttime it's heavy it's it always for me in the throes of 
huge periods of anxiety. It always felt like Satan was just preying on the fact that I was physically alone. And that's when he wanted to attack the most. Which is very uh, cunning. It's very smart and creepy. Or, kind of like Tyler's contrast, other pop music, nighttime could be isolating in the fact that the people who are up are maybe all together without you or something. So it's kind of like either they're all asleep and you feel like a burden or they're all out socializing and unavailable. So either way, you're screwed, (laughs) you know. It doesn't bode well for your mental state and getting out of the feeling of isolation. He continues on to say the earth turns from sanity, taking my only friend I know, which is hope. The earth turns. I like how it's more gradual. It's less of that feeling of being trapped like nighttime, and it's more just the earth is turning, which means it's not permanent, which is hopeful because eventually it won't be nighttime anymore. And if the earth, which is turning, takes hope, that also means that hope is turning, which means even if it's frustrating or full of despair that hope is gone, we can be assured that it will return at some point, even if we don't know when, because it's turning. Yeah, I think that that's about all I had for verse one. Um, I really liked the way the sentiments were composed literarily. I think it's very smart and I feel like every album, in my opinion, Tyler just gets smarter and smarter with the way that he crafts and uses language. That he's not just intentional about sending a message with a song, but he's intentional about every single word placement in a song. And that to me is just really cool and inspiring because it shows that he doesn't just care about music, but he cares about the English language. And I mean... I'm just a romantic for the English language, so I love it. In between verse 1 and the chorus, there's just the bright piano taps, and I feel like this is just this in-between idea of there's clarity coming from the truth, hence this bright sound, which is in stark contrast to the gravity and the disconnectedness and scatteredness of nighttime. In the chorus, he says, I'm never what I like. I'm double-sided and I just can't hide. I kind of like it when I make you cry because I'm twisted up. I'm twisted up inside. And this is what I really want to lean into because I was just so powerfully struck by this, this time, like I never was before. And I... This is so important. It's not just important to be said, but it's important that a Christian is saying this, that he's admitting to being double-sided, that he's saying, I am this inspiring, in my opinion, this inspiring, introspective, spiritual person who desires to love people as best I can and share truth and hope as best I can. But being double-sided... I just can't hide. I kind of like it when I make you cry because I'm twisted up and I'm not just this inspiring person or however he wants to characterize himself. I'm characterizing him as one of my biggest inspirations. (laughs) But he's also someone who can be willfully immature. And I think it's important to establish that he's admitting to immaturity because we don't talk about this 
like at all. I don't think I've ever had an in-depth conversation like this with another adult so far in my life anyway. And so I just want to open up this discussion that just because you are a Christian and just because you are an adult, or even if you're not an adult, it doesn't matter who you are, just because you are a longtime Christian and or an adult does not mean you're ever done maturing. And if you're never done maturing, we will never be fully mature until we are with Christ. And because of that, we're always going to hold immature motives and actions at times. And I think that's so important. Like, you're not just gonna sin, but sometimes you're gonna be willfully immature. I have and will sometimes be willfully immature. And I think there was a lot of pride in me, genuinely, in the fact that I never loved this song, that I never cared to learn every single word of the song, because I think I kind of knew what it was saying, and I didn't want to admit that I could ever resonate with that. I think, even if subconsciously, I think my attitude toward the song is very prideful, and as such, in general, I have and can be very prideful with feeling like I'm somehow beyond immaturity just because I've been a Christian for so long or just because I have a lot of knowledge. It's so important to humble ourselves before the Lord to know that we're not just imperfect, but we're not fully mature and we're never going to be. And that takes a lot of strength to admit. And sometimes if if we are apologizing to someone, we might have to apologize for being immature. And that doesn't mean you're going to be thought less of. It's actually, I, I think you would be respected even more for being so genuine in saying something that's no adult would want to ever admit. But it's just like sin. Immaturity is not something we can just magically grow out of. We can obtain better knowledge, we can obtain better answers, but we're never going to be perfected in that. And it's a, a lie to think that we can or that, oh, this applies to other people, but not to me. I like how when he says, and I just can't hide it, it reminds me of screen. I'm standing in front of you. And I love that screen comes right after the song. It's It makes this line a preview of screen. And... I think in this song, the tone of it is more so like, yeah, I just can't hide. Um, And it's very like defeated. I'm twisted up. And I like how Screen kind of brings in this added layer of, yeah, all of this is true, but I feel like there's more hope also added on in Screen to this idea that God does see everything, which we will get to next time. And so I like that that theme carries through both songs. It it kind of shows you different sides to the coin as you're processing through it, through God's omniscience, through your infallible brokenness. I thought it was interesting that his image for immaturity here was when I make you cry, because I'm twisted up. I feel like there were definitely times, I can't think of any specific right now, but I'm, I'm sure there were at least a couple times in my teenage years where I made my mom cry. I like to hope, (laughs) again, I know that I'm still immature in a lot of ways, but I like to hope that I don't intentionally make people cry anymore, but I mean, if I do, you know, I wouldn't be surprised because I'm a sinful human, but I, I thought this was significant because to make someone cry, 
someone crying at the result of something you've done or said, it makes you feel this power, which sometimes we all lust for power in different ways, even if we don't want to admit it, even if it's just this very brief, temporary power. Because I think ultimately with gaining this power, it's like you are needing validation through this person's tears by making them cry that you need validation that you can make someone cry because it would somehow feed this insecurity in you that um, maybe you don't impact them at all so if you can impact them to the point that you make them cry then that means that you make an impression on them which would selfishly and manipulatively give you validation um, for something you, you didn't realize you were looking for. Yeah, I can definitely see that being the case with with making someone cry and you care more about having your ego boosted than about caring for that person's needs. And um, I think this is when both immaturity and sin in general rear, rear their heads the most. And probably, I'm trying to think of a good other example from my own life, but in general I think when I've struggled with immaturity the most is when various relationships there's somehow a disconnect between needs and wants if someone is putting wants above someone's needs like it's not gonna end well speaking for my own life it doesn't end well and sometimes it's to the point of just relational obliteration um because you can't genuinely love another if you're not willing to value their needs And if you only ever value wants over someone's needs, it's very dehumanizing. I want to think of a good example. I I feel like there are definitely times in my life, whether in high school or college, where I would have certain relationships and they would be more transactional for me than genuinely caring about someone. It would be like, oh, I know this person likes this thing that I also like, so I could be friends with them to be able to go to this concert or event with them, um, which is what I want. And it was like I would value something that I wanted over actually caring and valuing that person. Or I was so blinded by what this person's relationship could offer me rather than how can I love this person and live life with this person. Yeah, that's what I would say is, is when I've top of my head have been immature is is when you see when you use people rather than love people it's very immature because you're you're not humanizing them fully to the extent that they deserve to be humanized and i think of course another easy example is a lot of different sorts of conflict depending can bring out immaturity in different ways Um, i think specifically for me i feel like the most immature i've been in conflicts is when something brings up a really old wound, usually something from like not even necessarily with the person I'm currently in conflict with, but something that's like way from the past I haven't healed yet and someone like randomly brings up this insecurity I haven't healed yet and you just have like a a rash, irritable reaction or something. Yeah, there's definitely been immature moments with my mom especially I can think of where I think it's because when you know someone is just so loving and so supportive of you, um, it's almost like you know that if you're irritable with them, it won't be the end of the world because they love you so much. Not that that's a good reason or excuse for it, but I think compared to other people, like 
I was by far the most irritable with my mom, I think, because I just knew that her love was so strong and beautiful subconsciously. But yeah, there were, there were definitely lots of times where I would be immaturely irritable with her because I didn't know how to communicate effectively why I was actually being irritable. And so I just, like, for example, something I thought of from adolescence in general is I didn't know I was a highly sensitive person until two years ago. And if you haven't heard about the term highly sensitive person, it basically means that you're more overstimulated than other people more easily. Not just being an introvert, it's different than being an introvert, but it's like, because being an introvert, you need alone time to recharge. I mean, I think the best way I can try to describe it is being a highly sensitive person means you need alone time to, to recharge like an introvert, but you also need alone time to process all the stimuli you've had throughout the day, whether it's people you've interacted with, whether it's sounds that you heard, like everything. And so it's something that just a certain percentage of humans are because just like other animals, basically what a highly sensitive person means is you're that percentage of animals that are more apt towards being alert for danger for the rest of their pack. So basically I'm one of those people. It's not because there's a danger for me anymore because I'm not like a caveman, but basically I'm wired to be more sensitive to if there's like dangers and, and stuff around. So now that I live in a very cushy world as a human, um, it just kind of comes out as overstimulated by things. So anyway, random information dump. So I would get irrationally irritable with my mom because what I didn't know was that I was being forced to socialize for seven hours called school. And then I would come home and my mom is very caring and I'm big way my mom sure she cares as she asks lots of questions. And so I was coming from seven straight hours of being overstimulated and forced to socialize for seven straight hours <laughs> into lots of questions. And so... I can say that now and I can be like, there'll be certain times I'll be hanging out with my mom and I'll start getting irritable and will unanimously be like, okay, I need to go home because I'm clearly overstimulated right now because I'm irrationally irritable. But back when I didn't know that, it, it was just like, man, leave me alone, you know, <laughs> like just dumb stuff like that. So I'm sure you guys have examples of immaturity moments as well, but I just think it's it's important to normalize that. Um, normalize that just like you're never beyond having to grow with the Lord or having rough times where you have a lot of doubt. You're never matured to the point that you don't have maturing to do, and you're never matured to the point that you don't irrationally say or do something immature like we all do and will. So let's normalize it. Verse two. The horrors of the night melt away under the warm glow of survival of the day. Then we move on. My shadow grows taller along with my fears and my frame shrinks smaller as night grows near. When the sun is climbing windowsills and the silver lining rides the hills, I will be saved for one whole day until the sun makes the hills its grave. The horrors of the night melt away kind of establish what all the horrors are already. As we can see, day has now come at this point in the song. Under the warm glow of survival of the day, 
And I like how it says survival of the day. Like, no matter how bleak and destructive night can be, day returns. It survives. The war is not over. Day is still there. Night has not won or decimated day by any means. And I think in that way, in in more of a spiritual, metaphorical way, it also means that forgiveness will return. Um, The glow of survival of God's goodness and his grace and mercy and forgiveness for all of our immaturity, for the fear and the doubt that we have in nighttime, for the spiritual warfare that we suffer. There is still a lot of mercy that will come back around and continues to. Then we move on. I kind of see this kind of flippantly of like basking in this eternal joy. Then we move on. And this continues back into a negative frame of mind as night grows near again. And so I think when it says that we move on, it's kind of this, we're already dumb sheep forgetting what we've learned. And because of that, we're, we're not trying to properly prepare ourselves for the next nighttime. Similarly to our lives, like if you don't properly prepare yourself spiritually for the next rough season it doesn't matter if you don't know what it is like it's god's given us tools to prepare our hearts to prepare our minds and if we're not prepared we're just gonna fall back into the hopeless pits that we were initially in that he he doesn't want us to return to if we don't have to my shadow grows taller along with my fears and i think the shadow in this way is like his his sins are starting to return and grow again the dread the doubt fear all the negativity is coming back and my frame shrinks smaller as night grows near i think in contrast the frame like his body is shrinking smaller in contrast to the shadow because it represents his confidence and his identity both bodily and mentally and spiritually because the night is just this literal black slate that is trying to cover over and make us forget. And I thought there were some cool little um, cross-reference ideas very briefly slid in here as well. When the sun is climbing windowsills, this reminds me of the windowsill with holding on to you. This hopeful, rather than the windowsill representing self-destruction, When the sun is climbing windowsills, it is illuminating and creating, it's creating light against what was once dark and dreary and hopeless. And the silver lining rides the hills. For some reason, I like pictured a car as the silver lining riding these hills and it reminded me of Taxi Cab. um, So I wanted to bring that up as well. Just this, this hopeful idea that you know, your blood is washed away and your sins will be undone as the silver lining is riding the hills and you're driving into the morning sun. I will be saved for one whole day. I took this to mean eternally. All of this will be worth being saved for one whole day. Emphasis on whole. It's not just one day because we're saved for more than one day with with God as well. But we're saved for one whole day. Excuse me, I just brushed the microphone. We're saved for one whole day. One day that is pure. And I think that's 
comes as a result of Judgment Day, when we will finally be purified and get to live eternally in the presence of the Lord, worshiping. All of this will be worth it. And then he tags on, until the sun makes the hills its grave, which doesn't negate what he just said, but it does mean that all of this then comes into doubt as the day dies away and night is all-consuming once more, like a ravenous beast. So many good images in this song. He just, he just fits so much in. I love it. There's so many layers in such a short amount of time. <laughs> so it's incredible. And so then he goes back into the chorus and he repeats it twice. And this time he has much more agitation now that we're in the nighttime again. And he's just going back and forth and he has hope. He has doubt. He has joy. He has fear. All of these different contrasted emotions and feelings. And he says he's, he's twisted up, not just inside as a general, like, in my whole body, but then he specifies inside my mind at the end of this chorus repetition. And I think that's also vulnerable in its specificity of, I'm not just going to tell you I'm, I'm messed up in a general sense, but I'm going to be vulnerably specific and say that my brain itself is messed up. Not just in a mental illness sense, but in a sense that it doesn't matter how much I know and all the good that I know I should do and all the perfect actions I know I should do. I can know all of those things, but my mind is messed up, so I'm never going to be perfect. I'm always going to sin. I'm always going to harm, even if I don't intend to. It kind of goes back to what we've discussed, I think, multiple times now of, of Paul and his thorn and doing what you don't want to do, and it's it's the way of our spiritual life is it's just the name of the game unfortunately but that's why we need christ and that's why we can have confidence in christ continually renewing what we can't do because our brains are they're just irrevocably twisted this next part is called the breakdown um emotionally probably and he repeats i'm semi-automatic my prayers schizophrenic but I'll live on. Yeah, I'll live on. Yeah, I'll live on. I'm semi-automatic in terms of the title and in terms of semi-automatic weapons. They are, as a reminder, weapons that are designed to, once triggered, it automatically puts the ammunition in place to then trigger it again without having to do any extra work and with our messed up, sinful, immature brains, that's exactly what we do. We are like, yeah, I know what I should do, but I'm innately wired to do exactly the, the same hurtful thing that I already did to you. Even though I know if it hurts, I should just stop doing it, right? Perfectionists. Like, right? <laughs> Wrong. That's impossible. A great, this is a great song for perfectionists, including myself, to just meditate on and really intake and listen to. My prayers, schizophrenic. Truthfully, I don't know a ton about schizophrenia, so I had to look up a little bit, and I'm just gonna say for the gist of this song, so I don't, like, absolutely slaughter the meaning and get it wrong, I think all that we need to know about schizophrenia for the sake of this is that there can be a lot of trouble in seeing truth. I saw like some of the most common symptoms when you 
struggle with schizophrenia are delusions and hallucinations. And so as such, this this prayer and um, whether prayers literally in his songs that he's singing in this song as a whole or prayers unsaid, his prayers are schizophrenic as far as there is trouble in them and seeing the truth because of how divided his soul is spiritually and Satan can give delusions of his identity. He can come into conflict with truth because there's also this other side that Satan is tainting constantly and twisting for his own gain. But I'll live on. So it's just this frantic frustration of I messed up, I'm full of contradictions, and yet there is a strength that will get me out of this and that will provide life even though I don't deserve it. And then we go into the bridge. By the time the night wears off, the dust is down and shadows burn. I will rise and stand my ground waiting for the night's return. I really love this part. I love, spoiler alert, it's kind of why I love trenches. Why I love themes of faith being compared to war. Um, because that's very much a way that I interpret my faith. I don't know why, um, because I've never been like overtly obsessed with war concepts or anything, but I mean, I do love the movie Dunkirk. It is one of my favorite movies, but yeah, I love this idea of war. That definitely came out wrong. I don't love war, but I love how war symbolizes faith, spirituality so perfectly in its destruction and in its just inevitable harm towards people who don't deserve it and even people who supposedly deserve it like it's still a tragedy by the time the night wears off it's like this huge exhausting war has at least halted for the time being the dust is down and shadows burn just like when the sun comes up versus when the sun goes down, the shadows are diminishing. I will rise and stand my ground. Standing in this newfound truth, I think this is a good contrast to the previous pre-chorus where he talked about moving on and not prepping well. Now it's the opposite where he's rising, he's standing his ground, he's gained his confidence, he's gained his newfound truth. At the same time, there's this ominous, now we, despite the goodness of this confidence, we are now inevitably waiting for the night's return. And it immediately goes back into the chorus where he's frustrated and screaming more. And it kind of gives you this sense of, at the very end when he's saying, I will rise and stand my ground. And then he immediately gets agitated again. It kind of makes you feel like, does he feel that even standing my ground is now a delusion? That even when there's the most confidence, Satan's going to try to put holes in it. And I think ultimately what the song leaves us with after all is said and done is frustration. Frustration that we are just stuck in this constant tension that we can't do anything to get out of and that we are just kind of prey to for the remainder of our earthly days and good intentions bad intentions um it's all inevitable and 
how badly we we wish we could be in control but at the same time we know that it's it's best for us that we're not but you know I think if it was up to me I would definitely want to be in control so that I could be perfect and never hurt people and never be hurt um but then that would obviously completely annihilate my faith and the reason that I have the faith and the Lord that I do so my identity is not in the fact that I can be perfect, but it's in the fact that God chose to for me. So I don't have to be, and because of that, he's called me beloved, even though I don't deserve it. Um, he's literally calling us beloved when we're being willfully immature and saying dumb things to our mom or slapping my sister when I was like nine or just getting in dumb little teen spats with a friend or very genuine conflicts that are just not handled as maturely as they could be all kinds of scenarios but i hope this allows you space to process through it all i hope it allows you space to continue to be challenged and to seek after god's heart even more noticing the disparities and the just wideness of the disparities that we can't cross without Jesus and there's a lot of scariness in that in the fact that we feel can feel so helpless but there's a lot of joy in knowing that Jesus is all the help we need and even though we're helpless he does it all for us he does what we need and he is who we need and all we have to do is draw near to that and come exactly as we are. I want to hear from you. You can email entrenchpodcast at gmail.com with a written account of your 21 Pilots story or your favorite memories you have related to the band. You can also reach out with an episode request if you want to analyze a song, video, or album review with me. And if you'd like to contribute to the analysis we've already covered, you can join the podcast Facebook group by searching Entrench Podcast Group. You can find Entrench on Podbean, Verbal, Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Music. On Instagram, you can find me at Entrench underscore pod. I look forward to hearing from you. Tune in next time for Screen. Thank you so much for listening, friends. Stay alive and remember, entrench, you're not alone.